I talk, just so you know. That's all. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Luke chapter 17 is where we're at tonight. Luke chapter 17. They, <clears throat> there's a group of men we're going to talk about tonight stood afar off from everybody they encountered, everybody that they met, because they had to. They had a disease that made them, uh, by law, they were required that they had to st- keep their distance. In fact, if they got too close to somebody on the road, you talk about a mask and having to do all that kind of thing, they, people could legally throw rocks at them if they got too close. They were required to, by law to scream that they were unclean, unclean to anybody approaching on the road so that they would not be able to, uh, that they would not have to get close enough to them to where they could get diseased as well. The disease is called leprosy, and if you had leprosy, your life was over as you knew it. You might live for a while, but your life as you knew it, it was over. The disease of leprosy did not discriminate. Uh, Rich people got it, poor people got it, important people got it, and nobody's got it. Everybody was susceptible to this disease of leprosy. It would be one night, a daughter would be sitting on her dad's knee, and maybe she would point at a spot that was forming on his face or on his arm, and she would say, what's that, what is that there, daddy? And he would see it, and uh, the fear would set in. It could be a pimple, it could be a, a rash, or it could be leprosy. They would have to go to their, uh, their doctors, and then the, eventually the priest, uh, they had different tests that they would do, and uh, if it ended up being leprosy, which was the word that was just whispered in terror in that day, then they would have to leave the home. They would have to leave their family. They'd have to essentially, in fact, many families would have a funeral for that person because leprosy was a death penalty. There was no way out. If you had leprosy, you were going to die. And so the families often had a funeral so they could get closure and didn't have to think about mom or dad or uncle or aunt or sister or brother out in a colony somewhere literally rotting away to nothing because of this terrible disease that they had. This was the life that faced anyone who got this terrible, terrible disease. They could be formally very respected. They could be a city council member. They could be a, a, a political figure or a well-loved member of the clergy or whoever they might be. did not matter who they were. Once you got that disease, you were a flat-out outcast. No one wanted anything to do with you uh, for the reason that they might also get that disease. Now you're only friends were people that had the disease you had. And you, you, uh, f- you congregated in places called colonies, leper colonies, and that's where you were, that's where you stayed, only with people that also had it, and together you waited for death. Uh, you, you started to, the, the body would deteriorate, first appendages like fingers and, and toes and ears would fall off, and, and uh, you would just start losing these body parts until eventually it worked its way into the organs, and you died from it. Luke chapter 17, verse 12. Uh, we're going to start reading in a moment. Uh, beyond the disease that they had, uh, something else happened as they formed into now new gangs, if you want to say not in a bad way, I am just mean groups of people, new friendships, new groups of friends. Uh, now no longer does anybody pay attention to status. doesn't matter uh, race doesn't matter anymore. Jews and Samaritans alike, that, that, none of that matters. You know, it's amazing. 
When you are at your bottom, you'll reach out to anyone. It won't matter then uh, who your groups are, who you look down on. That doesn't matter anymore when you're at the bottom. And so here we have Jews and Samaritans together in their own misery. And uh, let's look at verse number 17, verse number 12. As he entered into a certain village, there met him ten men that were lepers, which stood afar off. They lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Can you imagine being in a situation in your life in which you have lost everything and you had absolutely no hope in getting it back? This is where they were in this situation, these ten men. These were ten men that did not know each other before they had leprosy, but now they're the only friends that each other has. It's these ten. Uh, they went and did what they did together. They had different charity organizations would do things to help feed them, or they would have to try to get uh, scrape together food just to survive. But these were it. They're the only friends that they had. And one day they hear that Jesus is coming their way. Now, among the sick, stories about healing would be really popular. I mean, that's what they would listen to. That's what they would talk about. As they congregate in their leper colonies at night, they would have these stories about so-and-so that heard that so-and-so, a friend of a friend, got healed by this man Jesus. That's an urban legend. Ain't no way that can happen. We know nobody can be healed of leprosy. That's a death penalty. But here they are. They hear of Jesus is coming their way, and there's nothing in the world that lifts you up like hope. Just a little hope. Maybe. Now there's no way he could help us, but maybe. Maybe there's a little hope there. So with a cracked voice, because leprosy attacks your bronchial tubes and wouldn't be able to uh, yell loudly, but with this cracked voice that they had, the Bible says they lifted up their voices. And their companions in suffering, their companions in prayer now. They lift up their voices and they cried out, and look what they cried out for, mercy. Have mercy on us. That's what they needed. They needed someone to have mercy. And so they, uh, this prayer that they uh, uniformly cry out to Jesus, you have to understand in that verse, this is the absolute last shred of hope they have for anything in their future. Only death is in their future. They're under a death penalty. So they cry out to Jesus, have mercy on us. They have to cry out because they can't get close to him. By law, they, a ceremonial law, they're required to be a certain amount of a distance from him. So they get as close as they dare and they scream out to him, Jesus, have mercy on us. He wouldn't have mercy, of course not, because nobody had mercy on them ever. People threw rocks at them. People yelled at them. Their own family has had funerals. to They're dead in the, in the eyes of society. Why would Jesus have mercy? Look what he does. When he saw them, he said unto them, Go show yourselves unto the priests. Wait a second. He didn't say you're healed. He didn't say I'll give you what you want. He didn't say okay. He didn't say anything. Go show yourselves to the priests. Now, why did he say that? Well, uh, two reasons. A ceremonial law required a priest to announce them clean. Had to, they, they, before they could be introduced back in society, before they could be allowed to have any physical contact with anybody, a priest had to look at their skin, examine their arms and their neck and their ears and their body, had to examine them from head to toe and declare that they were in fact clean before they could go back to their lives. 
So, so they had to show themselves to a priest for that purpose. Secondly, go show yourself to a priest. What does that require? Well, it requires a little bit of faith. They're not healed yet. Jesus didn't say, all right, I'll heal you. He just said, go show yourself to the priest. Now, their, their pat answer would be, we've already showed ourselves to a priest. That's why we're outcasts. He declared us unclean. And so we are all, that's already a done deal. But he required from them a little bit of faith. And Jesus often did that. When he spoke to the man laying down at the pool uh, who was crippled, he says, rise up, pick up thy bed, and walk. Uh, there, there took a little faith. Rise up? What do you mean rise up? I've been able to rise up my whole life. Well, they had to take a step and do something. Uh, and, and a lot of times there was this step of faith to the blind man, put mud on his eyes and to go wash in the pool of Siloam. He had to trust God in the dark for a while and, and get to the pool and, and do something to, to demonstrate his faith that he believed Jesus. Here they said, go show yourself to the priest. Now, there's a couple of different possible answers to this command of Jesus. There's one, you scoff and you walk away. Show myself to a priest. I already did that. He's not going to heal us, obviously. He's just wanting to humiliate us. There's that answer. Or you can take Jesus at his word and start to head to the priest and see what happens. This was Jesus. And every single one of them chose to believe. So they start to go to the priest. As one man, these men started... And as they did, they notice all of a sudden they're not hobbling as they did before. Canes were discarded, crutches were, uh, went flying, and they started to run as they picked up strength. They started to run faster, they picked up speed, and now it became a race. Who could get to the priest first? Because the last guy, number 10, is going to be the one that waits, waits the longest to go home. It's a lengthy thing to show yourself to the priest. They have to examine you. Now he's going to have to wait longer. I want to be first there so I can be first out and I can be first home. That's where they're heading. Makes sense, doesn't it? Who knows how long they've been outcast. Their kids have grown up without them. Now they want to get home and see their families and they are running. As Jesus watched them run, he noticed one of the men slow down. Look at what the Bible says. Uh, verse 14, and it came to pass that as they went, they were cleansed. That's important. As they went, they displayed the faith. They went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back. That's what Jesus sees. He sees ten men running for their lives to the priest. As soon as they start running, I mean, they're starting like this, and then by the time they're, they're done, they're running like a sprinter. They've got strength now, and they're healed, and they know they're healed because they feel different. They feel it in their bodies, and they're off like a rocket, but one man stopped. The Bible says, and he comes back. He fell down on his face. Look what he says here, verse 16. fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. Giving him thanks. Thankfulness was more important to him than running home to his family. Thank, thank you to Jesus. Thank you for the health that I have. Thank you for reuniting me with my family. Thank you for a restored life. Thank you. He gave thanks. Took time to come back. How often do you use the words, thank you? We teach them to our kids. What do you say? Thank you. When they don't mean it. 
and they don't care, but we're trying to teach them to say thank you. We need to say thank you. Tomorrow is Thanksgiving, and I'm glad for the turkey. Amen? Glad I'm not a turkey. That's another thing to be thankful for. But we ought to have every day of our life be thanksgiving. We ought to be giving thanks all the time. You, you like the ten lepers, were also diseased. They called your disease sin. And just like leprosy, your disease was incurable. Nothing you could do about it. You were going to die because of it. You were going to die with it. And you were going to have to pay for it for eternity. There's nothing you could do about it. Romans chapter 5, verse 12, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered the world, and so death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Nothing you could do. Uh, It separated you from your family. Sin is the worst of all leprosies because it does not only separate you from the righteous, it also separates you from God. And just as these lepers were uh, in a despicable, hopeless state, you also had no hope as a sinner. You had no hope on your own. Job 11:20 but the eyes of the wicked shall fail and they shall not escape and their hope shall be as the giving up of the ghost then one day you heard a name somebody told you the name of Jesus or you read a tract or you read the bible but somehow you heard the name Jesus he looked at you he looked at your sin and he loved you enough to die for you he took you from your disease He delivered you and He made you clean. Romans 6.14 For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law but under grace. As you ran from your sin towards Christ, you felt that burden of sin removed from your life. Remember how you felt when you first got saved? Oh man, what a wonderful thing. Now the bondage that previously gripped you has lost its hold on you. And my question to you tonight is do you ever stop, turn around and just say, Thank you. Thank you. Boy, we take our salvation for granted, don't we? That's my challenge to you tonight, simply. is just once in a while we need to stop, turn around, walk up to Jesus and say, thank you. Thank you to the one that saved me. By the way, thank you to the one that told me. It was a blessing for me specifically to spend some time last week to the man who took a Bible, opened it up, and led me to my Savior as a blessing. Because I don't only thank the Lord for saving me, I thank someone who loved me enough to care for me and show me from the Bible and lead me to that Savior. Thank you. Thank you. How often do we thank the Lord for it? Are you grateful? Write it down. Think about it. Talk about it. It is the season for thanking, but we ought to always be thanking. We ought to never get out of that season as a Christian. In doing so, you'll not only spread positivity around you, your health will benefit from it. Did you know that? Thankful people are healthier people. Thankfulness can have a direct uh, benefit on your brain and your body. Gratitude has been proven to help your immune system. Hey, in a land of COVID, can we use some help with our immune system? Be grateful. Dr. P. Morale, Duke University, said this, If thankfulness were a drug, it would be the world's best-selling product with health for every major organ system. Thankfulness. It's not a drug, but it's a command. Thank you. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16-18, Rejoice evermore, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks. 
Rejoice, pray, give thanks. Listen, that sounds like ordinary commands, but what the Bible does is it injects some adverbs in there that makes it a whole different story. We all agree it's good to rejoice, it's good to pray, it's good to give thanks, but with the adverbs the Bible adds to it, it makes it a big challenge for us because it says rejoice evermore. Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks. That makes it a little bit more difficult for us. It ought to be a routine. It ought to be a way of life. It ought to distinguish us as a Christian. The Christian who walks with the Lord will see reasons to give thanks every day of his or her life. We have reasons to give thanks to the Lord. This Thanksgiving pause. Stop. Be grateful. Be thankful. Like the, listen, when everybody else is running about their business, everybody else is running around like a chicken with their heads cut off, everybody else has something going on, you be the one to step out of the ten, walk back to Christ and say, hey, I don't know about them, but I want to tell you thank you. Thank you. And I can tell you, friend, being in the ministry as long as I have, that's about a good ratio. It's about one in ten that say thank you. You be that one in ten. You be that person that on a regular basis is thankful thankful for their salvation, thankful to those that invest in you spiritually. Thank you. Thank you. Man, we complain about everything so easily. Be that one in ten. Stop when everybody else is busy. Look at your Savior and say thank you. It's something that will help us. It's a command. It's God's expectation. And it will do worlds to change your everyday attitude if we can just be grateful. Amen? Helps. Get a flat tire. Ooh, boy, does that bother you. But you're going to heaven when you die. That kind of helps, doesn't it? We need to be thankful. It's hard to be thankful when stuff happens. It just is. It's hard to be thankful when, when, when your life seems to be infusing with trash all the time. But you can still be grateful because, as Jesus said, Rejoice, not because things are going your way. Rejoice because your names are written in heaven. And one day, love the terminology used over here, one day you're going to be taken from the devil's clutches. <laughs> not that he has our soul, but he certainly can cause a lot of problems for us, can he? I can't wait for the day that I don't have to deal with stupid temptation anymore. Just be done with the sin in my life. What a blessing that'll be. But until then, let's be thankful. Father, thank you.